Hello, everybody. My name is Andrew Gamison, and I'm very grateful to be joining you again this week for another edition of the Speaking for Him podcast. As you know, we are continuing in our Back to Basics series to look at some of the myths that are popular in modern Christianity, specifically in the more megachurch, positive-thinking environment in which much of Christianity finds itself. And the importance of these, or discussing these, is that we need to know the truth so that we can rightly divide it and so that we can guide those who are in our care in these important issues. And today is one that I think really resonates with me um, because I am an encourager. So the myth today is that we can simply lift the spirits of others. There's definitely a modern element of Christianity to where we want to just be positive and not really dwell on the negative. But as we will unpack later, we need to center all of our discussions on Christ. And yes, there is a lot of good news in Christ, but one of the things that needs to happen before we can understand the good news in Christ is to understand the bad news. And also to make sure that we center on Christ overall. Because sometimes we can talk about quote-unquote Christian principles and act like they are universal when in fact Christ needs to be the center of all. So we will get into that very shortly. But first of all, I want to talk to you about what is going on. All right, well, I have a lot to talk to you about today. First of all, I wanted to remind you that the Kendrick brothers have not one, but two movies in the theaters right now. Show Me the Father and Courageous Legacy are both in the theaters. Courageous came out in 2011 and was a smash hit that has helped a lot of fathers embrace their role as God designed it. And Courageous Legacy takes that film, re-edits it, and uses new video technology to make the picture more crisp, but also adds some content. So apparently, from a video that I was watching from the Kendrick Brothers last night, the way they explained it is they cut out some of the scenes that made the original film drag a little bit, and then they added some new content, particularly a new ending that occurs 10 years after the original. So the original cast is back Um, And we get to see a little bit about what happened to their characters. So I'm excited to see Courageous Legacy. As I said, I will be reviewing it here on the podcast once I have done that. And then another project that the Kendrick Brothers have, which could be considered a supplement to Courageous, is Show Me the Father, a documentary about fatherhood um, with, I think, five different stories of people talking about the importance of, of a father both on this earth and a good relationship with your heavenly father because he said, I will be a father to the fatherless and a defender of the widow. And so even if you don't have a father in your home or a father in your life, you can still um, depend on God the Father. A teacher was told that she had to take take down her blue line flag that she has up in honor of her brother 
who was a police officer because it might offend some students. You got a Washington teacher is forced to take down a pro-police flag in their classroom over fears it could be, quote, a political symbol. The Marysville Middle School teacher hung this flag in support of her brother, a former police officer. Now, the school district says, without context, a thin blue line symbol, quote, can be interpreted in a variety of ways by students who come from very diverse backgrounds. While LGBT and Black Lives Matter messages are allowed to be on full display. Former Marysville police officer Chris Sunderland is the brother of the middle school teacher. Uh, he joins us now. Uh, what's your reaction to the school's policy? It's it's kind of absurd in a way, if you think about it, because we're talking about a simple flag that represents, you know, law enforcement, which in a whole is a great organization. And the things that we've done for them um, has just been a, a great time. And I don't understand why my sister can't have that up on her wall. No kidding, especially a tribute to you. Uh, did you do it for did you do did you become an officer to be rich? <laughs> yeah, I wish. Uh, no, not at all. About service. So the school said, well, when asked, how can you put up one, uh, put up those two flags and not the other? Uh, they said our students participate in several different extracurricular leadership activities, including uh, Black Student Union, Latino Student Union, LGBTQIA uh, plus club. For many of our most vulnerable students who might participate in one of these clubs, these symbols may also help them feel both heard and seen. They also want to say in a school context, uh, these other two symbols can be seen as a specific educational purpose that directly align with instructional objectives and extracurricular programs. Do you feel better now? No. Yeah, so much better. It makes so much sense to me. So is there an educational purpose to understanding about law enforcement in America? Yeah, there absolutely, absolutely is. Um, and I used my six years as a SRO um, here in Washington to educate the kids and uh, the, the way that we are able to impact these young kids in their lives and the issues that were going on in a different way. Uh, and I think it's very informational and educational for these families and kids and even educators to have us in the schools. Uh, yeah, and they say that we do support police, and they say we provide uh, funding for two resource officers uh, to work the halls. The other thing that I think is important is this is a very diverse number. Uh, there's a lot of diversity in these police departments across the country. What are you saying to them? Uh, I just keep telling them to, you know, hey, hang on. Um, I've had a lot of support saying, hey, I'm glad you can be the voice for us to to keep this going. And uh, I'm just really glad that everybody is is stepping forward and and basically saying, you know what, Chris, I'm glad you're doing this uh, and your sister because it needs to be heard. Right, and it needs to be balanced. And I would expect somebody that ascended to the place as principal or superintendent to understand the need to understand law enforcement uh, in our society now more than ever. We've had a year in which everyone ignored law enforcement, and we had murders through the roof and crime rumbling rampant. Uh, I'd rather not have a year like that again, uh, and hopefully that'll, uh, that message will come clear. Chris, thanks for your service. Thanks for what your sister did. And thanks for coming on with us today. I appreciate it. Thank you. You got it. Okay. First of all, I want to understand, or I would really like to hear from someone, how the pride flag and the BLM flag are not offensive at all to anyone and our educational tools, but the police blue line flag is. 
when we talk about police, we are talking about people that put their lives on the line for our safety. It's kind of ironic because we've had um, different periods of time in our country where where we've had rashes of school shootings. And so certain uh, school districts have placed police officers, um, SROs, student resource officers, on the campuses of their school. The police officer that was talked to in that Fox clip, he was an SRO. And so we have these school shootings Schools react by adding police officers to their staff and having student resource officers interact with the students and keep them safe. But now, these same people, often that are quote-unquote the loudest when it comes to student safety, are saying that a student might be offended by a flag that honors police officers. And I don't know why law and order is offensive. As a matter of fact, God says, let all things be done decently and in order. So whereas the flag could be a great teaching tool to say, we owe a lot to our police officers. Of course, they're not all good. We've had situations with bad officers, but that's where the teaching comes. I've said this before, and we've even had, I think, at least one full episode talking about cancel culture and banning different things from the public square. And I'll just reiterate quickly here that one of the biggest problems with that is the fact that if you ban it, if you remove it, if you remove something like this flag, then you're not even discussing the issues. One of the most frustrating things about living in today's culture is that we can't discuss and disagree about things. Because the minute there's a major disagreement about something, people's reaction is, let's cancel it, let's get it out of the discussion. If we just act like it doesn't exist, then we don't have to discuss it. And we're teaching our children to be easily offended. And we're saying that whatever offends you can just be gotten rid of with a wave of the wand. And that actually minimizes the discussion and it actually minimizes the problem rather than accentuates it. The example of this is when people want to ban books like To Kill a Mockingbird or Huckleberry Finn because of because they are supposedly offensive to black people, even though the very purpose for their writing and publication was to speak out against slavery and to speak for the humanity of black people. See, we don't even know why we're offended. I just hope that people will wake up and realize that this is what we're facing in our schools today. We need to be able to honestly express ourselves in ways like this teacher simply putting a flag up in honor of her brother. 
interestingly enough, this is not about her going on excessive rants every day about how great the police are or, you know, encouraging her students that they need to become police officers because becoming a police officer is so good. No, this is simply about her putting a flag up and honoring her brother for his service and the school saying it could be offensive to someone and so you need to cease and desist. The bottom line is, folks, anything can be offensive. So we need to not say as our first line of reasoning for getting rid of something, it could be offensive. Simply stating that someone could be offended by something and so it should cease to be a part of our conversation, that I don't think is a good direction to go because where does it end? I think that's the one of the biggest things I've noticed in this offension culture. I don't know if I just made up a word, but in this offensive culture, I've noticed that nothing is good enough because the people who are offended will just move on to the next item for which they are offended. All right, the next thing I want to talk about is the fact that Matt Walsh, who is a popular uh, blogger and works for the Daily Wire, um, and and by the way, he's someone who I have shared uh, clips from him on the show in the past. He uh, made it a point to uh, make sure that he could get down to Loudoun County, Virginia, uh, to express his outrage uh, with mask mandates um, and also, I believe, critical race theory as well. To Loudoun County, Virginia, where the first school board meeting will take place after new restrictions over who can speak there was announced last week. Loudoun County officials say they're doing this to prevent fewer outsiders and hear from more locals. But it appears one man may have found a way to get around this, Fox 5's Stephanie Ramirez is live outside the Board of Education headquarters in Ashburn with more. Stephanie? Hey, Rob, so we just heard from this person on WMAL this morning talking about how he spoke out at his own Board of Education meeting in Tennessee. Well, now the same person wants to speak here so badly tomorrow that he apparently took out a lease in the neighborhood to be eligible to do so. This person, this is Matt Walsh, he tweeted, How do you do, fellow Virginians, after telling his over 672,000 Twitter followers about his new lease in the area? Walsh is a conservative blogger and podcaster who has been more vocal about the Loudoun County Schools transgender policy. He's also arguing that those with no children in the district should be able to decide what happens in LCPS because LCPS receives federal funding and he is an American taxpayer. The Loudoun County School Board, the school board uh, speaker change was announced late last week and at a previous June Loudoun County Schools meeting. We know tensions erupted. That meeting ended up making national headlines. Speakers are now being asked to show some sort of proof that they are either a county a public school student, a guardian of one, a county resident or a business owner. A press release sent by the school board said that this was to prevent, quote, out of town agitators who would make board meetings a platform for national politics or to enhance their their media profiles, end quote. We did ask around about this today, and I can tell you we did get some mixed reactions. I feel that they're taking away voices, that they don't want people to be heard, um, and they're trying to silence 
someone who doesn't agree with them. I don't against you know anybody to attend. Well, maybe whatever a portion is uh, <laughs> is federally funded, maybe they should be allowed to speak to that extent. I guess just by leasing a place. Uh, so they can testify. It's just not right. If you don't have a child in the county, why would you want to testify? Now, I was not actually able to get in touch with Walsh today and put my own eyes on that lease. I was told by a school's official that the rule change was not in response to him wanting to participate. And they also told me that uh, the school system is about 1% federally funded, by the way. Rob? Well, Stephanie, what constitutes as proof for some of the speakers to sign up? And do we know how many are expected to speak tomorrow? Yeah, so some of the item of identification, items of identification that were listed included a driver's license, a 2021 utility bill here, the lease agreement, an employee or a student ID or some kind of email from the school. Now, I can tell you for tax purposes in the state, you do have to be in Virginia online, it says, for so many days to actually be considered a Virginia resident. But the information put out by LCPS does not clarify that. When I talked to the school official, I was told that if Walsh does present a proper lease agreement, that he will likely be able to speak tomorrow. And he is on that list of around 60 people already signed up to speak. Rob? A couple things jump out about this story. First of all, Matt Walsh definitely feels that it's important to speak out for the children of Loudoun County, Virginia, uh, because he leased this property so that he could meet the criterion of being a resident of the town. Now, whether it officially makes him a resident is debatable at, for the reasons mentioned in the story. But I want to address a couple things. First of all, um, this story didn't mention directly critical race theory. I know that's one of the things that uh, they have talked about there in Loudoun County, but he did mention um, masking and transgender issues along with critical race theory as things as things that need to be spoken about to the school board. So let me just make a couple observations. First of all, to the people that say that he shouldn't go there and talk to uh, a school board for which he has no active participation in his family, I say this. If it's an issue related directly to Loudoun County and the way that they are running their schedule for their school or teachers that they're hiring, he might be able to make a case. But what Matt is addressing and what he spoke about was the opportunity to fight for the safety and integrity and fighting against the brainwashing of children. And that does not have any boundary lines. The issues that Matthew is addressing by going to Loudoun County have nothing to do with what school district they are in and everything to do with the unchanging morals that God has set forth. So I want to play for you a clip of Matthew talking at the Loudoun County board meeting Take note that they restricted him to under a minute, which I guess from the the story that I just played, 
you can infer that if there was 60 people up to talk, that it would take an hour to get through public comment, even if you gave everyone a minute. But I think the greater reason to restrict it to a minute is because they don't want to hear from people that disagree with them. And this goes back to what I was saying before. If we can't, if we silence the dissenters, then the discussion is gone. And without discussion, we don't have a free society. This country was founded in part by a Continental Congress that spent days and hours talking about how our country should be run and hammering out a constitution that honored freedom and also responsibility. Discussion is a key part of being in a free society. Once you silence discussion and you tell people what to think and how to think it, free society goes away. I would thank you all for allowing me to speak to you tonight, but you tried not to allow it, yet here I am. Now you only get the 60 seconds, so let me get to the point. You are all child abusers. You prey upon impressionable children and indoctrinate them into your insane ideological cult, a cult which holds many fanatical views, but none so deranged as the idea that boys are girls and girls are boys. By imposing this vile nonsense on students to the point even of forcing young girls to share locker rooms with boys, you deprive these kids of safety and privacy and something more fundamental too, which is truth. If education is not grounded in truth, then it is worthless. Worse, it is poison. You are poison. You are predators. I can see why you try to stop us from speaking. You know that your ideas are indefensible. You silence the opposing side because you have no argument. You can only hide under your beds like pathetic little gutless cowards, hoping we shut up and go away. But we won't. I promise you that. Thank you for your time, and I'll talk to you again very, very soon. What Matt is talking about here is the fact that you are going against God's created order. I talk about this a lot on this show because fundamental to the human experience, fundamental to redemption in Jesus Christ, is understanding that God knew what he was doing when he made you. The biggest reason why people do not want to submit to God today is because if you are submitting to God, then you are acknowledging that you are not in charge of your own life. And we have all had times where we wanted to be in charge of our own life. And so now what we have is a culture where we want to be in charge of our own life and we just want to do our own thing and not have anyone tell us what not to do. And so we are experiencing the chaos from that. God said, I made them male and female. He made each of you, whether you are a man or a woman, for the purpose of furthering his kingdom and with his creativity on full display. So when we deny who God says we are, we are thumbing our nose in his face. And saying, God, you were not good enough to design me. You were not good enough to tell me what to do. But see, I can speak from experience that trying to deny who God made you to be, 
trying to run from his call on your life does not end well. So I applaud Matt Walsh for standing up for truth. And as I said, the things that he addressed uh, with Loudoun County and the reason that he went there had nothing to do with jurisdiction in the United States and everything to do with moral issues that apply across the board, whether you're in Alaska or Arizona, Minnesota or Michigan. They all apply. All right, well, as I've gone through this series with you of the myths that the popular church uh, brings forth, I have done my best to not um, talk about Joel Osteen directly. As I said early in this series, uh, these myths came directly from a video um, about Joel Osteen, but I think that, that the principles found in them are more important than the person himself. But in this case, Joel Osteen said that his success was directly a result of staying in his lane and just uplifting people and avoiding negativity. But the the greater concern with Joel and people of his ilk is that in order to stay in your lane stay positive and not dwell on the negative, that often means excluding Christ from the discussion. And so, as I was putting this together, I wanted to bring out what Paul, in his epistles, said about Christ. And that really brought me to the book of Philippians, which happens to be one of my favorite books. I've preached through it twice already in my life. Um, it's just ministered a lot to me. Um, my love for the book of Philippians actually started several years ago when as a 14 year old boy, I went and heard Dave Dravecki speak at a banquet. He was a former professional pitcher who lost his arm to cancer and God has used him mightily in my life and in the lives of many others. And he signed, um, my books that I had by him and his baseball card. And on each of those was a verse. And one of those verses was Philippians 1, 20 and 21. And after reading that verse and adopting it kind of as a life mission, I fell in love with the book of Philippians. And there's a lot of applicable verses to this topic. And our quote of the day actually comes from another Pauline epistle, and it says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. So what is Paul saying here? He is saying that as I exhort you, as I encourage you, there's nothing that I have to share with you of any importance if I leave out the gospel. Every principle, every guideline, everything that Paul shares in his epistles for the early church centers on the gospel. And I think it's important for us to understand that. 
one of the things that I have been sensitive to for the last several years, and one of the reasons that I wrote my first book, Men of Valor, was because I looked at the second part of the Great Commission. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is often when pastors will preach on the Great Commission, they will do it in a missions-type context, and they will say, we need people to go into all the world and preach the gospel um, and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, which is absolutely true. It's It's a calling that is amazing, and if you've been called to do that, that is great. But the second part of the Great Commission is teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What is the significance of that? The the significance of that is there's a lot in the Bible that we as Christians need to know and need to be aware of, and we need to be centering our life and everything we do on following Christ in his ways. Whether it's family or work or church or government, there are guidelines and commands in the scriptures that go along with that. So if we are talking about lifting spirits, we need to constantly be going back to Christ. It all begins and ends with Christ. He said, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. So what's the first point I want to bring out? Let's start in Philippians chapter 1. Paul believes that God will finish his work. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So what is Paul saying here? He is encouraging the Philippians that the work that God began in you, God will complete. I think a lot of times we can get discouraged because we kind of feel like, well, God has this plan for me. He wants to use me in such and such a way. Or rather, sometimes in our own mind, we say, I hope he does that. And sometimes the vision that God gives us is a long-term vision. God told Abraham that he would have descendants the size of the sands on the seashore so that no one could count them. And then he made Sarah barren. And then when Sarah finally gets a child and has Isaac, he makes Rebekah, Isaac's wife, barren. And you can look at this story and you can say, well, that doesn't seem like a really good way for God to fulfill his promise. But God did fulfill his promise anyway, so he got the credit. When something significant happens in our lives, God is the one that gets the credit for that. He's the one that deserves the credit. So he will facilitate it often to make things impossible and then to make the impossible possible through the workings of his Holy Spirit. That is the business that our God is in. And so what Paul is saying here is that I know that God will finish the work that he has for you 
to do. And so as we're talking about lifting people's spirits, we need to point them back to God. Because God is the one who does the work through us. And that leads us to our next verse. Paul believed that God works through us. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's actually one of my favorite verses within the book of Philippians because it lets me rest. It lets me realize that the Christian life is not about what I can accomplish, but it's about what he can accomplish through me. Because this tells me that God works in me. Yes, there are things that he calls us to do, and there are things that he commands us to do, and there's an element to where we have to make the choice that we are going to do that thing that he has equipped and called us to do. Absolutely no doubt about it whatsoever. But the reality is that we can't do it on our own. And so if we rest in the fact that God will work in us if we surrender to him, then we can accomplish more and be at peace and rest and not always being be like, did I do this right? Did I go the right way? Remember the Proverbs say, man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So if we are the Lord's, he will guide and direct us in the way that he wants us to go. The next verse that I want to share is in Philippians chapter 3. We're kind of just taking a, a bird's eye view tour of the book of Philippians. First of all, we see that Paul desired the power of the resurrection. And Paul said this, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable to his death. Now, there's a couple major things that I want to pull out of this. The first is that Paul had everything you could ever want. He was in the Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was very high-ranking. He got, remember, he got documents from the government saying that he could go and persecute Christians and put them in prison and have them killed. He was a man of high influence and knowledge. Um, He had everything. And yet he says, I count it but loss that I might win Christ. He gave up all his prestige. He gave up all his place in society to follow Christ. And if you remember, in in his early Christian days, it was a double whammy because He was not accepted by the Sanhedrin for obvious reasons, and he was not accepted by the church because they didn't believe that his faith was genuine. The other thing I want to mention here is that he says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. There's a lot of modern teaching that we should just prosper as Christians and that God does not want us to suffer. Now, there is an ultimate degree to which God does not want us to suffer because he sent Jesus to die on the cross so that we could have peace, so that we could go to heaven, 
so that we could not face the penalty of death. But Paul talks about suffering as something to be embraced while he's here on earth. He experiences fellowship in suffering. Why? Jesus suffered for him, so he was willing to suffer for Jesus. And when he talks about his thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he refers to it as glorying in his suffering. Because when he gloried in his suffering, then the power of Christ could rest upon him. So suffering is not something that Paul shied away from. And continuing on in Philippians chapter 3, we see that Paul looked forward instead of backward. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And that's Philippians three, twelve to 14. I want you to notice this because we are often trapped by our pasts. We think about them, we let them control us to a degree, um, and we just are ashamed of them. But Paul says we need to quit looking back and look forward to what God can do through us. He says, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I press on for the prize that is found in the high calling of Christ Jesus. And if the Apostle Paul is saying, one of the keys to my success as a servant of the Lord is forgetting those things which are behind, how much more should that be for us? And again, all of these scriptures are pointing us to Christ. If if you do not know Christ, there's only a certain level to which your spirit can be lifted. What did Jesus say? He said, come on to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Rest is only found in Jesus. And then... My final point today is Paul trusted God to take care of him. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. And then the final verse that I want to share with you, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And that's Philippians 4, 11 to 13 and 19. You know, I made mention on my podcast, I think, 
in the last couple of weeks that I have stepped away from my job at the Ponder's house. And once again, I am seeking to do what I can to see the ministry activities that I'm doing become a full-time thing. I really believe that God has placed a calling uh, for ministry on my life, and this podcast has been a great extension of that, and I'm looking forward to uh, doing some things with YouTube. Now that I've learned audio editing, I want to learn video editing and hopefully um, bring more regular content along with the podcast to as many as I can to encourage them in the Lord Jesus. So this verse comes up again, big time in my life, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by what? By your own ingenuity? By the generosity of your rich uncle? No, by Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus does the calling and he does the equipping. He does the starting and he does the finishing. It's all about him. And so as as we're talking about lifting one another's spirits, that's what needs to lift our spirits. Remember, Paul starts out, 1 Corinthians 15, detailing the gospel. He says, Christ died according to the scriptures, was buried according to the scriptures, and was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he talks about the importance of the resurrection. How if the resurrection hadn't happened, we would be all men most miserable. Why? Because we would be like every other religion where we serve a dead person, where the leader of our religion, the founder of our religion, is buried somewhere in a cemetery. We can go pay him homage at a grave still. But instead, for us, we can go to the empty tomb. The stone was rolled away not so Jesus could get out, but so that we could look in and know that he is alive. And so after Paul takes the time in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and he details the significance of the resurrection, and he tells us what we have because of the resurrection, that we are made alive, that death has lost its sting, that grave does not have a victory. Then the very end of the chapter, he says this, he says, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, so that you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So at the end of this big chapter, talking about the significance of the resurrection, what does Paul say? He says, because of the resurrection, because of what God did for you, you should live for him. You should be steadfast and unmovable for him. Well, let's, re- let's review very quickly and look at the points that we covered today. And, uh, So we started with Paul believed that God would finish his work. Remember, the first chapter of Philippians talks about that God will complete the work that he did in you. The second thing is that God works through us. God's power 
through us makes things happen. God plus any of us is a majority because of God's power. So that's what we learn from Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 3, we learn that Paul desired the power of the resurrection more than his earthly blessings. He gave it all up so that he might win Christ. And then we learned that Paul looks forward instead of backwards. We talked about how you can be paralyzed by looking back at your past, and you need to look forward to what the future has to hold. And then we finished up with Paul trusted God to take care of him. Um, And before we move on to that, I just want to refer back to uh, Philippians chapter 3 because that is really where the motto, if you will, for speaking for him uh, came from. If you look at my business card, you will see that it says, speaking for him, speaking for him who spoke for me. And Paul talks about uh, that he wants to lay hold of that for which he was laid hold of. Basically the same thing, that Christ laid hold of Paul and motivated Paul to lay hold of Christ. And then, in, as we said in Philippians chapter 4, Paul trusted God to take care of him. He knew that whatever came, he would be taken care of. Whether he had much or whether he had little, God would always give enough to take care of him. In our Western culture, we have a hard time sometimes, I think, separating wants from needs. And we, we will say, well, well, I need this. But the reality is God knows what you need and he gives it to you in his time. And yes, I can freely attest that sometimes he gives us what we want, for which I am very grateful. But I know that God always provides for our needs. As I end, I just want to remind you that probably the greatest significance of this book is that Paul is writing it from a Roman prison. He is most likely chained between two guards or more as he's writing. And the end of the book of Philippians talks about the saints of Caesar's household greet you, which means that while he was in prison, while he was writing this book of Philippians, he's constantly preaching the word of God because the word of God is the only way to have your spirits truly lifted. The Bible says, if the son, therefore, shall set you free, you will be free indeed. My prayer for you is that you will have that kind of freedom in Jesus today. If you have any questions concerning that, please reach out and contact us with the contact information that's about to roll at the end of the show. Please know that we love you and God loves you. Well, that's all I have to share with you today. I hope that you will continue to share these podcasts with family and friends. That's how the word gets out. I hope you have a wonderful week and that you keep serving the best of masters. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.